welcome to a totally radical episode of FW Presents, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and I am thrilled to welcome two special guests, each more special than the other, to help me cover today's topic. First up, the host of Transformers Chronicles and part of the Crusader crew on the Longbox Crusade Network, please welcome Delvin, the Dark Web Williams. What's up, Delvin? Ryan, thank you for letting me back onto one of your shows. I don't know how I keep crawling, crawling my way back here, but somehow I wind up, wind up back. It's a pleasure. I mean, don't tell Jared or Jason or Pat this, but I consider you my best friend. So Aww. <laughs> my other guest, folks, is an award-winning comic book writer whose original works include The Only Living Boy and The Only Living Girl. He has also written for both Marvel and DC Comics. Please welcome David Gallagher. How's it going? It's going so great, Ryan. It's such a pleasure to be here today. Thank you very much. It's great to have you. Oh, wait, 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 wait. It is so uh, tubular to be here today. (laughs) All right, pull out your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thesaurus. What what 90s slang and vernacular can we use? Um, Folks, if you follow David or Delvin on Twitter, you may have sussed out that one of the intersections of their comic book fandom is the 1990s series from Marvel, The New Warriors. Uh, Even if you didn't know that, you could have figured out what we were going to talk about from the title of this episode. That's right, The New Warriors, the self-stylized heroes for the 90s. I've brought David and Delvin here to talk about this team and their adventures, and we're not going to focus on one story. This will be more of an overview of the first two years, really, of the New Warriors comics. The first 25 issues or so, plus a couple of annuals, really spotlighting the members of this team, their triumphs, and their tragedies, uh, and what made them so cool that the guys still love them 30 years later. Uh, so I'll throw it out to each of you for your first impressions of the New Warriors. David, how and when did you discover this group? Uh, were you a fan right away? What about it hooked you? I got into comics kind of in a very hodgepodge way. I think that a lot of people do. I think that, you know, like one of the first comics I got was an official handbook of the Marvel Universe, one <laughs> of those trade versions of it that covered like characters from like, North Star through Quicksilver. And in that book was Namorita. So I was familiar with Namorita. I was like, oh, Namorita. And then I also, around the same time, got the How to Draw Comics, the Marvel Way book, which has uh, a bunch of How to Draw Nova pieces in it. And I was like, oh, well, these characters are interesting. But before that, I was a big fan of Spider-Man and his amazing friends, which debuted in September of 1981. And I had such a tremendous crush on Angelica Jones, a member of the New Warriors, but also member of the Spider-Friends. And she was an original character created for the cartoon that eventually found herself folded into the X-Men universe. And then right around that time, uh, 1988, 1989, Axe of Vengeance came out. It was a Marvel-styled event where basically this cabal of supervillains traded heroes with one another. And um, I think around that time, my parents had gotten me like the first 10 issues randomly of like Speedball. So as like a comic that I had read like at camp and stuff like that. So... I had already gone into um, Thor 411 and Thor 412 with familiarity of four out of the six members of the team. And when they broke out of the pages of Thor, I was like, this is a team for me. 
I know all of the, who those, I know four out of those six characters. I'm in. And then um, I think I saw the subscription for it in the, before the issue even came out, there was a subscription in the back of, I think one of the issues of Avengers that was like, Hey, sign up for these new titles. Ghost Rider, Guardians of the Galaxy, The New Warriors, Namor, The Submariner. And I, I picked up New Warriors. And once I got that first issue, I was completely hooked. Nice. Delvin, what about you? Same question. Yeah, my answer isn't going to be nearly as cool as that. But here goes anyway. It had to do something with me looking for cool comic books as a teenager, young teenager. Because I know my first main Marvel comic was Amazing Spider-Man. That much I do remember. And I know right around the time that I started collecting Amazing Spider-Man was in the 340s. That was when Eric Larson was drawing the book. But there was a guest penciler, think about 345 or so, if my memory serves me correctly. And it was Mark Bagley. And I remember liking the artwork. And so I wanted to find more stuff that he did. And I think maybe that issue of Amazing Spider-Man mentioned, or the one before, to hype him up, that he also was doing New Warriors. So I went to check New Warriors out, and I liked Bagley's art. And that's what started me with it, because I know I didn't start with issue one. I probably started somewhere in the teens and then worked my way back to pick up those issues. So even just having this conversation is reminding me of then having to do the back issue bins and going to look for those issues and finding some way, you know, no job whatsoever to get money to pay for these comic books and everything. But that had to be somewhere where my love for New Warriors started. Uh, yeah, uh, so one of the reasons why I wanted you guys both on this was because you've been fans of this property for a long time, and you were fans at the time, more or less, when this book was current and contemporary. Uh, so, I mean, you guys, David, you were there on ground floor, and Delvin, you too, a little bit. I, I was not the same. Like, I, I told you guys before, I have read the issues that we're going to be kind of covering, most of them for the first time just within the last year. I discovered this team, who they were. I can't remember exactly which one it was. I think I discovered the characters and the team from the 1992 Impel Marvel Universe trading cards. It was Series 3, the one with the cosmic starscape background. Um, And they had cards for Night Thrasher, Nova, Speedball, and then the team. Uh, and I think uh, maybe like Silhouette was in like the rookie, got like a rookie card or something. But around that same time, my friends and I, you know, we were we were pretty fresh into comics. We were just getting into these things. Like my collecting started in 1990, and that was when I was really going. And by 1992, I had like a, a small job where I could get some money, and we were <sighs> comic stores were a plenty back then. Um, so we were picking up any kind of, like, you know, back issue or cheap thing that we could find. We would get blind bags, like, you know, just brown paper bags with a discount where we'd get, like, ten comics for just a couple bucks Love or something it. like that. Yeah, basically like a quarter bin type of thing. I distinctly remember getting New Warriors issue six. And I thought the cover was awesome because it had this really striking, powerful-looking character right in the front and then the headshots of all these other characters. Well, the character on the cover is Black Bolt, King of the Inhumans. And when I flipped through the story and realized, hey, he's not actually part of this team. He's like a completely different guy. That was kind of a bummer. A few, like, I, I would dip in there and there. Like, I know I got, I think, issue eight or nine because the Punisher was in there. But 
around the same time, I mean, I was I was a hardcore X Men fan. I was Team All Things Mutant at Marvel, um, and they they occupied most of my attention and most of my you know budget what I could afford because there were so many X Men books. Had I known that Fabian Nicieza, who I first read when he was writing some of the X-Force books when I was first getting into those, and then he took over and started writing some of my favorite X-Men books just as I was getting into them right around the Executioner's, uh, Executioner's Song Saga, if I had known that he was the writer, if I had been more aware of that, I might have been willing to follow him over because I really liked what he was doing on those X-Books. Um, but I didn't stick with it, and then, you know, the book just kind of fell out of my awareness. But, so many, so many years later, cut to like 2018, 2019, I'm noticing for some reason a lot of my friends on social media are talking about new warriors. A lot of people whose opinions on comics I trust and I value, and I was like, you know what? Maybe there was just something like I missed about this team because they weren't, other than Firestorm, who I didn't know because I didn't, I, I wasn't familiar with uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends that much. But other than that, like they didn't have the mutant connection, so I, they were much more of like sort of like Junior Avengers, and I wasn't into the Avengers until really the late '90s. So I passed this team up, and I thought, you know, what? I'm going to give it another shot. So I started reading them. And over the past year, and I'm not going to say I binge-read them, because it did take me a year to get through about 25, 26 comics. Um, but I had a whole lot of fun, and I, I definitely see if I had if I had just been of a different mindset or given them more of a chance back then, I think I would have loved this team and would have been like totally like hooked from from the onset if I had just been if circumstances had been a little bit different. So. I can tell you one of the cool things about today is if you have folks that want you know you start following people and then they have that love and passion first of all that gets you excited about wanting to go and read this stuff but the other cool thing about it is a lot of these long uh forgotten titles they wind up being pretty cheap to go get i bet you can probably find a full run of 75 new warriors comic books for less than a hundred dollars which is pretty dang cool if, if probably cheaper than that, and just and to be able to go back and do that now at the remaining comic book stores that are left, I, the idea of that is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I owe uh, New Warriors my I, my entire career in comics is because of New Warriors. So, like, I would not be making comics and writing comics today if it weren't for that series. So, I mean, that's how powerful and and monumental it was kind of in shaping my life. How, David, how would you, I guess the question is more or less, how would you describe Fabian Nicieza's storytelling approach to the series? Or what what made it so unique? What made it so gripping i mean i i think i mean I, I don't know if it was just like he had the right approach to team books or ensembles but he he was on a lot of them at the same time and he did them very very well well i think that there's a there's a you really really unique combination of factors that that makes fabian's work on this book and and to a to a degree x-force really interesting and i i think a lot of that it comes from the origins in writing Cyforce, which was really a subversive team. You know, when he got the reins of that book, you know, he really got to stretch his like 
is muscles in terms of, of developing team dynamics and team team chemistry. And I think the, a combination of working with Danny Singeroth, who was a fantastic editor, and working with Mark Bagley really allowed him to hone his um, storytelling skills. So even when you're reading that first issue of New Warriors, Fabian knows how to get your attention with just that very, very first page. And he it's such a stunning thing to see how he took these characters who were developed as a team by Ron Friends and Tom DeFalco. Right. And he he tools a little bit with their chemistry because what we see of the New Warriors in their first appearance is a little bit different than the um, the chemistry that we see play out in the issue. And by making those slight alterations to the characters, I think he really discovers a, 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 a real intensity that I think is, is really powerful. In a way, New Warriors is just so punk rock. And it, it's able to take, it, it before Law & Order did it, it takes this very ripped-from-the-headlines approach of giving every, like tackling really important themes. Cause if we remember, if we bring ourselves back to the late eighties and early nineties, we're talking about movements like Greenpeace. We're talking about, uh, Lyle and Eric Menendez. You know, we're talking about, uh, urban gangs and we're talking about like disaffected societies and, and teenagers. And all of these themes were themes that, Fabian and Mark and, and Danny uh, really sort of played with and and pushed forward. And I think the best thing I like about the series, or one of the things I like about the series, was this rotation of the characters. Mm-hmm. So you, you you do a Night Thrasher story, and then you do a Speedball story, and then you do a Namorita story, and then you do a Firestar story, and then you do a Nova story, and a Marvel Boy story. But each story, as you're doing this carousel, still had little vignettes of these other characters. And the long threads of each of these characters definitely pulled through and had a payoff. So Speedball, from the very first issue, we know his parents are fighting. You know, we know who Vance's personality is, Marvel Boy's personality is from the get-go. You know, we watch as these things sort of weave in and weave out every single issue so they make the payoffs really powerful. And I think that that's, that's the key element of, of Fabian. And one of his strengths is all those character moments down to the shirts that uh, Speedball is wearing. You know, all of his really cool, like, really cool punk rock shirts and his little flannels. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of authenticity to giving each character their own unique voice. It's not everybody is listening to uh, punk rock. It's like some characters are listening to punk rock and man, Nova likes more heavy metal stuff. He, he seems like Johnny Lawrence from Cobra Kai. You know what I mean? He has that very disaffected kind of like uh, attitude. And I think that there's a real nice, there's a real nice flow with all of that. I think Bagley is just as important in giving them that unique voice too, because like their posture, the like the physicality, what he does for them, the, yeah, everything. Like when you see them in civilian clothes, you get just as much of their attitude as if they were speaking, and you didn't have any like word balloons and everything like that. I, I think they they are very fleshed out. It is a very slick book. I'm very polished. I mean, Mark Bagley from from 
that. Like he he won a talent competition, right? Like that's how he got in. Yes. And yeah, yeah it, it's just I mean, from, from just seeing his earliest work, it's like this dude looks like a veteran of like five, ten years. Oh, incredible stuff. At the end of issue twenty five, I think it was. Uh, he kind of said his goodbye because to give you an idea of how great of a job that he did, he went from New Warriors, which was a book of some renown in, at Marvel in the 90s. But it's like, OK, we're we're taking you from the New Warriors and we're putting you on Amazing Spider-Man. That's a jump. <laughs> <laughs> that is a jump. And he kind of mentioned how New Warriors like was that was his first break that was his really his first opportunity him and Fabian oh maybe not Fabian but both him and Fabian uh you know collaborated to make this thing and but for Bagley yeah I could talk about Bagley all day I mean you've got your his entire run on on the Spider-Man titles the main universe Spider-Man titles and then fast forward a decade once they launched the ultimate universe you know 113 issues I think of Ultimate Spider-Man with Brian Michael Bendis, something like that. They set the record, and they did it in in record time. And then, after he got tired of that, he went over to DC for a year and did one of their, like, weekly titles, like, all by himself for, like, one year, for, like, 52 issues of doing, like, half of that, half of that book. So Yeah, throw some Thunderbolts in there, too. Like, I I follow Bagley a lot, Mm -hmm. because I I figured whatever he was on was going to be good, and if it wasn't, it was going to be pretty. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I remember Bagley's work from when he was doing those backups in Captain America with the U.S. agent and Battlestar. You know, so before he had that break on New Warriors, he was doing these little backups, I think, you know, and, and that to me was where I really first discovered his artwork. But when I, once I saw it in New Warriors with uh, Larry Molstad and Al Williamson as inkers, you know, there was a real polish to all of that that I, I it's undeniable. Getting into the characters uh, in particular, and and you kind of mentioned David how of the of the core cast, the original six members of the team, five of them were pre-existing characters who hadn't had as much going on. Uh, Neighborita was a guest in Namor for a little bit, and then you had Vance Astro as uh, as Marvel Boy, and his history was crazy with the Guardians of the Galaxy, and then showing up as Ben Grimm's sidekick for a little bit. Um, you also had Firestar, you had Nova, um, but they created this brand new character. Oh, uh, DeFalco and friends created him, uh, Night Thrasher. When I saw the trading card of that guy, I was like, this dude just looks awesome. <laughs> like, he's got like this, he sort of had like a bit of a Snake Eyes thing going on, and I was a huge G.I. Joe fan with like the all black tech, like body armor tactical suit. But those red highlights around the eyes and around like like the, the little um, rib, like bands like wrapped around his like sh- his elbows and everything, the skateboard. It's easy to make fun of the skateboard in context today, but I, I mean, I always thought it was kind of cool. It was something functional. No, I thought it was cool. I yeah. think it's still cool. <laughs> and, and as as he as he needs to, it can also double as a weapon. So, Night Thrasher was a reason that I kept reading the book. He was they they sort of were playing a, a Batman type role with him too, but they definitely made sure that the origin varied pr- very differently from a Batman. Other than you know his parents were killed because he found out exactly who killed his parents in the first two years, which was tragic. Mm. And yeah, I 
especially some of the earlier books, I they they were fleshing them out, and I like by the time issue twenty five came along, they really established the hero that he was. He had a tragic past. There was a reason that he carried so much anger with him. He literally did not know what happened to his parents other than they died. He had no idea why. And all of this stuff in his past was clouded intentionally so without any idea of knowing why. So I would be angry at that, too. And they fleshed that out from him just lashing out at everything here and there to actually having a focus rage. And and he became a much more fleshed out character and one that was enjoyable to read. For me, I think that what's interesting about Night Thrasher is that he really came from this. um, Obviously, there's a lot of Batman archetypal energy there. But what was really interesting is in a contemporary society. So obviously, we're reading this book in like 1990. But in the contemporary era right now, there's a lot of talk about on the social media sphere and landscape, like what if Batman were black or what if Batman were wealthy? What if Batman were woke? You know, and all of those things were exemplified in Night Thrasher 30 years ago, you know, and I thought was really interesting is we're coming from this very, um, like when I first saw Night Thrasher, I thought of like a lot of Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, like The Perfect Weapon. Like here's this guy who has honed his body and we're coming off Steven Seagal movies and, you know, all of this stuff. And you see it so exemplified in uh, Night Thrasher that, it, that it's really interesting. And I, uh, I know it's easy to make fun of his skateboard which is kind of a little silly, but I also think of him as somebody who has spent so much time focusing his body and his mind that he like, he's almost in a way one step sideways from like what the social norms are. He is just so interesting. He doesn't care what's cool. He's really cares about being the perfect weapon, you know, against this, this war that is coming, you know? And, and that to me is really interesting is that he has, and even when he, he comes up with this team dynamic, he seems like somebody who really wanted like to have a team that was dedicated to vengeance and revenge and justice. And, but he has no ability to really sort of lead people or guide people. He just has this vision and really, really bad social graces. <laughs> Reading the first issue, or after his first appearances in Thornton, then reading that first issue, I was like, all right, I like the look of this character. I'm not sure how much I'm going to actually like him seeing fairly one note that, you know, like the Bruce Wayne, the Batman, he is this, like, perfect weapon, this embodiment, um, and he's the tech guy. He's got his butler slash mentor surrogate father figure in Cord. Uh, who's who's been taking care of him and is kind of like the the all-purpose handler for the team. But by the second issue, once they actually got into his backstory, not with his murdered parents, but his story with Silhouette and Midnight Fire and that whole tragic kind of like backstory and, and leading to that, that I found a lot more compelling. And you see him legitimately struggling with his anger issues and, and trying to like where where he is able to find a kind of peace and harmony, especially when Silhouette comes back into his life. 
But then, yeah, I mean, in terms of like, I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, he's he's another fighter. He's another, you know, like perfect physical specimen in the Marvel Universe. We've got plenty of those. When he has to go up against the Punisher in, you know, issues like I think eight and nine, that's I, I think that was handled pretty well. And that, that was a that was a very interesting and very cool display of what he was capable of. Hey, he can always have on his resume that he stabbed the Punisher with a skateboard. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> but yeah, he. One of the things I want to mention about Fabian, I see a lot of times uh, an author coming to uh, onto a book, and you know the Twitterverse or social media verse, they'll tear him apart and basically like you must hate this character because something bad happened. And like so a lot of times, the people like I wanted to write this character ever since I was a boy. But yeah, sure, go ahead and think I hate him. If you really care about a character, you're going to put that character through the paces. And Nisi Asa wasn't afraid to do that with any of them. Like there were some scenes that happened in the first 25, like to each of the heroes where it's just like, oh, my goodness. And since we're talking about Night Thrasher in this case, that fight between the Punisher and he, it was brutal. It was brutal to the point where, I mean, they are both like Punisher is stitching himself up in his battle van. Don't don't tell Jared I said that. <laughs> and like he's stitching himself up in the van and Night Thrasher is like grunting through broken ribs and everything. Like, it was it was a heck of a battle and it was it was a gritty thing to see. Well, one of the things I, I think is interesting about the, the ability of Fabian to really sort of tell the story is that he takes your expectations and then he twists them. Fabian reminds me a lot of, um, I'm a big fan of old-time radio, and and one of the very, 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 very famous expressions about old-time radio is like, uh, make them laugh, Mm. make them cry, make them wait. And that was really interesting about the way that Fabian was telling his stories, is that there was something that was humorous, whether it was speedballs dialogue or like jumping in front of a speeding train to activate his powers or uh, the dialogue and interplay between Nova and Night Thrasher and how they fought. And you could go from that, which was kind of fun and kind of light, to like the tragedy of Namorita getting almost beaten from within an inch of her life by sea urchin. Oh, that was you know, we're, we're talking about like, I mean, a brutal brutal beatdown you know we're talking about uh people's lives being lost and fabian had this very very unique gift i mean and he still does i think he's only honed his ability to write since then um but really 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 leans in on on knowing how to twist people's expectations and i think he did that brilliantly and the the two year conclusion of the book, and it's interesting to see how everything they were doing for those first two years was so tight mm-hmm. in terms of how it was paced and how each of the storylines fed into the other. Yeah, uh, let's jump haha, over to the speedball character um, because while while Dwayne was fighting the Punisher, we had uh, Robbie is. Like leading the others to the to the South American jungles to the Amazon to rescue his mother, Robbie being Robbie Baldwin for yep. people who aren't familiar with the series, he's Speedball. Robbie Baldwin, created by Steve Ditko, right? Um, this was another character who I, I discovered first because of the, the trading card and because I like I saw him other places, 
and I thought he had like a really cool design. He, I mean, th- with like the ball slate, he, I, I mean, it was it was sort of perfect in that like youthful '90s exasperation. Like he seemed like seemed like just like a bouncing ball that you would get like out of like a vending machine or something and throw that, and he just bounced and the kinetic energy always vibrating off him. It's a, just a very visually fun and dynamic uh, aspect of the character. In reading the stories, I'm tempted to say he's my least favorite of the core cast, which is not to say I dislike him. I wouldn't say that about any of the characters. I do find them all. I just feel like I never really got a handle on him. I never really felt sympathetic for him the way I I felt sympathy for the others. He was there. He was funny. He was a little bit ADHD at times, with which kind of goes with the power set and and like sort of always being you know kinetically charged. So that felt very, felt very appropriate. But no, he. I just I felt like I was oh, kind of kept like an arm's distance from from Robbie. Uh, what do you guys think about him? I always thought that he was essentially archetypally very similar to. Jamie Madrox from X Factor mm-hmm. and that reinvention of his character. Because as much as Robbie Baldwin's Speedball is a the living embodiment of a Ramones song, <laughs> uh, you know, at the end of the day, like he's really dealing with this. I mean, if you you keep in mind that he's this kid who has this tremendous power and his power set only grows exponentially. Uh, issue after issue after issue after issue. But one of the things that's really interesting about him is that his home life is just nothing but fighting. And in a way, he's being bounced between his parents. So I felt like there was a lot there to really lock onto, especially when I was reading the book, because I was a teenager who like identified that as my, my hyperactive, like, roll the windows down in the car and scream like at your full volume to your favorite They Might Be Giant song. That is literally speedball. But yeah, that slower moment as like he's bouncing between his parents, I definitely felt felt for him, especially it, during the Project Earth storyline. I mean, in the other storylines, not as much, but that one that really focuses on him and his mom and, you know, the hard choices storyline. You know, I, I thought that that really concretized, I think, a lot of sympathy that I had for Robbie. He's there as comic relief. Like they even introduced him to where Night Thrasher wasn't recruiting him. <laughs> and then at some point we were doing the power evaluation and they got to speedball court was like, all right, kid, move on. And they're like, they didn't quite know what to do with him. It seemed, but just as David mentioned, they kept hinting at his potential and his power. If he would ever, just stop and be serious about it and learn it. The last book that I read was the second annual where a lot of the focus was on Speedball, where one of the uh, Nova's villains, the Sphinx, used Speedball's powers to great effect. And heck, actually in the first 25, Gideon used Speedball's powers to maximum effect to basically incapacitate the entire team. Mm-hmm. So what they kept hinting at was that Speedball has something, go figure, he has potential. So, yeah, it was, I think it was intriguing. In the first 25, they talked a little bit about it and, and sort of made hints at how powerful he was. 
And I like how David also mentioned the bouncing back and forth because at the end of Annual 2, what happened? His parents got divorced and they said, well, not now, Robbie, but you have to choose who you want to live with. So he was quite literally, or in this case, excuse me, figuratively having to bounce between the two parents and to choose which where he was going to land. So pretty interesting arc for him in the first two years. And he's the only one from divor- a divorced family. And I think it goes back to what I was saying before about Fabian and the power is that they were really able to focus on that. Because if you think about when all of this stuff was happening, the early 90s was a, a time of, of great divorce. I mean, not not so much that divorce didn't happen before, but I mean, we were we were listening to Dan Quayle and George Bush talk about family values. And these are the things, these are the aspects of our socio-political climate at the time that were making this way into the comic in a way that Avengers wasn't doing. And X-Men sometimes deals with this theme, but they're already a found family team. They're already, you don't fit in, come live at our school. You, you know, but we don't talk about how Wolverine is like the product of divorced parents. No, but Speedball is, <laughs> and, and that's a story. After I got Disney Plus, I finally dove in and watched all of uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and I did very much fall in love with Firestar and Angelica Jones. Um, she's oh. a delightful character. My, my first time reading the character, though, was in the Kurt Busiek Avengers run, um, which is funny because she and, and Vance actually graduated from the New Warriors into that team during that run. So that's where I knew her from. So it was actually kind of backtracking when I read these stories uh, and, and kind of explored her character and more more her her earlier incarnation. Uh, David, I know you love this character through and through. Uh, what is it about so Firestar? Much. <laughs> well, I think that Firestar represents this sort of... Um, in a way, this sort of fragility. So um, she is, especially if you read her miniseries that uh, I think it was Tom DeFalco and Mary Wilshire had done, there's this a piece about her that she is so timid. And you see some of that in the Busiek uh, Perez Avengers run is this, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of what might happen if I use my powers. And watching her let loose and really use her abilities and, and gain confidence was really interesting in a way. She represents kind of this, this girl next door sort of thing, you know, but there is this aspect of her, this beyond the innocence, there's this, this really fierce fighter in her, this very passionate person who has just been, been sort of conditioned both in her own schooling and, and even with schooling with Emma Frost to be less than who she is and watching her sort of break out in the new warriors was really fascinating. But also you think about the confidence that she has in the Spider-Man and her amazing friends cartoons. So reading the new warriors comic book, I was always waiting for her to get to where she was on the cartoon. And eventually she got there, but it was, it was a really interesting um, path watching her grow. And I think that, you know, watching her confront Emma Frost uh, in the, Hellions issue was really, really interesting to me. I think that that was issue 10. Uh, and I, th- I thought it was just a really remarkable, um, really remarkable situation. It's one of my favorite issues. Yeah, I actually, like in the, the first annual 
Um, I like it because it has all it has like six three page backup stories for each one of the main characters. Um, and the one that spots spotlights Firestar is actually narrated by Emma Frost and just yep. basically kind of going into how she manipulates her and how she's sort of like horrifically keeping her down and keeping her bottled up so that she trying to stifle her potential. Um, and Emma Frost killed her horse. <laughs> yeah, that's just not nice at all. I mean, so, I mean, when we talk about, like, really ways to make a girl, like, feel traumatized, Emma Frost killed her horse and and made it seem like it, that was Angelica's fault. You know, you know what? When I think of list of, like, X-Men heroes, X-Men villains, I always think of white uh, Emma Frost as the White Queen as a villain first. I know she's had this redemption, like, now, God, it's been, like, 20 years now, well, more so, because Generation X, she's been on, like, the, the side of the heroes for a long time now, but I still think of her first and foremost as a villain, but I should get over that, but anyway. Well, I remember her from the Proud of the X-Men cartoon, where she's like, men are helpless between the power of the White Queen, and then she starts melting tanks and doing all this crazy stuff, yeah, I remember her from that. Yes, yeah, her well-established power to melt tanks. Looking like throughout the whole series, though, I think one of my favorite Firestar moments, or it's it's really it's an Angelica moment. One of my favorite things is at the end when Vance is on trial, and Night Thrasher has this whole thing. He's he's going with Cord and Ty, or actually, I think at that point Cord might be dead, but he's going with Ty into you know Southeast Asia with the the other group. The um, uh, why can I not think of the folding circle? The folding circle. Thank you. I couldn't think of the, the bad guy team. Um, they're doing their whole thing, and the other heroes, you know, Nova, Speedball, Namorita, they're like, hey, we gotta go help him, we gotta go rescue him. And Angelica's just like, no. She's like, I-, I can't leave Vance. He can't be on trial for his life right now alone without somebody who care- who loves him standing by his side. She's like, you gotta do, you gotta, you gotta save the world without me. I gotta stand by him. Um, I-, I love that moment as just, as a friend, as a would-be girlfriend, but just sort of, like, uh, just kind of show her compassion that at that point, you know, they, the world might be at stake, but, you know, Vance's whole life is right there in that courtroom, and she's not going to let him sit there alone. So I thought that was a really tender moment. You know, and that's what's really interesting to me about those um, core six, but later sort of core eight, mm-hmm. if you count Syl and Rage, um, is that they... Um, each when I was a kid, each one I felt was a representation of my personality as a kid, like my lack of self confidence, my Boy Scout ishness, my uh, aggressiveness, my sometimes belligerence, my excitement. You know, each one, each of these characters had this preeminent trait, but was obviously very nuanced. And one of the things I, I, I identified with in Firestar was that shyness. That inability to um, be assertive and stand for yourself. And when she does, and, and she does more often throughout the rest of the series, but when she does, when Firestar really moves forward with with who she is, it's powerful. You know, we have issue 10, which I thought was great. And we have nothing but the truth, which is fantastic. Uh, and I know our primary focus is those first 26 issues, man. But New Warriors 31 is one of my favorite issues. You know, and and that's a whole issue about who mourns the Hellions, and it's Warpath and Cannonball and Firestar, and that's a that's a really powerful issue because again, it it does that same thing. It really sort of highlights her personality. 
uh, Nova, or Kid Nova, as he is first called in the first couple of issues. This was a character who I knew of before reading the story, again, because of the trading card, and I knew that he had older adventures. And another character that I just, I immediately, I liked the look of him on that card. And on the card, he's wearing his blue and gold, uh, you know, Michigan Wolverines costume. And then looking at the early stories when he's in this kind of brownish-orange thing, I really didn't like the color, the, the costume redesign that they gave him for those first issues. And then... Reading along, I'm like, all right, he's brash and arrogant. He's he's kind of the jock. He's a little bit of the meathead. He's reminding me a little bit of Guy Gardner, but without Guy's charm. Or not, well, I shouldn't say charm. He's not funny the way Guy is in his own in his own little way, the way you'd love to hate him. So I was just kind of like, ah, this is really disappointing because I want to like Nova, but I'm not getting that. And then finally, at like the one-year mark, when we get to the Forever Yesterday story, which is all about him with the, the new Sphinx rewriting history and creating this whole new world with new versions of Captain America and and uh, Iron Man and you know putting Storm and, and Monica in these roles and you've got this like I, I mean it's it's shades of Days of Future Past because you've got like this you know insurrection group led by you know Magneto and these these mutants and Nova's caught in the you know the crosshairs of the story is and. When he puts on the new costume and when he's given like the his memory back and he remembers and he turns the tide and he starts leading the this this rebellious group, I love that story. It's one of my favorite parts of the whole the the two years is that Forever Yesterday storyline, and I love that it's so critical for him um, because also after that story he starts wearing the blue and gold costume again, um, and and that for me was a big turning point for Richard Ryder Nova, and I like that character a lot now. Yeah, don't also forget that parallel of Wolverine having to die in mm. one of the most painful ways possible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a good parallel. Nova, that storyline helped separate him as a character from Night Thrasher because both of them, like if Nova didn't have any powers and was somehow on the team, him and Night Thrasher would have been indistinguishable to me because they were both sort of doing the tough guy posture thing. And it's like, okay, this is getting a little bit old, but then Night Thrasher definitely had his reasons for doing it, and Nova is kind of the reformed loser, but he does have the heart of gold, and that eventually started making its way out. It's like Fabian went out of his way to make uh, Rich Rider a New Yorker, you know? And it's like, okay, well, that's cool. And it's it's definitely an arc to go with. And, and he became more and more likable as the series uh, went along. And I like that no matter what, he was going to fight for what he believed in. And that, that, that made him very, very cool. Like he would dive headlong into action no matter what the circumstances was. For me, one of the things I really like about um, Nova was this sense of loss you know, like one of the things people forget is that he he was Peter Parker, essentially. He was the nerdy kid. And then he got powers in his original 70s series and he sort of came into his own and he went into outer space and he helped the Space Knights, you know, beat the dire race. And it was super cool. And they fought the Sphinx and he fought Dr. Sun you know, and that was, that was kind of he Spider-Man tracked down a murderer. That's awesome stuff. And in a way, it's kind of like uh, graduating from high school and being like the super cool guy and then uh, never amounting to anything. 
And in a way, like, I mean, I think it's issue three where they're like, I hear you got fired from McDonald's. What are you doing with your life? You know, and here he has this new leaf sunlight. So in a way, he's given this second act that he never thought he was going to get. And so watching him shed this brashness was actually really, really interesting. Yes, he, he continues this sort of brashness throughout the 75 issues of the of the series, but it was really interesting to see sort of the highs and lows and, and watching him sort of go through like these major depressive arcs. And and that to me was that to me it really added a lot of nuance to his his power and his journey. I mean he was doing this for very different reasons and he felt like he owed Night Thrasher for helping him rekindle his powers. And and that's sort of this debt of like you help me with my powers, you know, like I feel like I owe you, you know, and but he, but he hated him for it. He did first. hate him for it. Right. He did. And I mean, eventually that that I mean, he did. I mean, Night Thrasher threw him off a roof. I mean, <laughs> it's hard not to, you know, it's hard not to get over. So but one of the things I thought was really interesting was, yeah, I, I think that Nova really sort of came into his own. And I agree. Forever Yesterday was fantastic. And one of the things is, is it's so interesting because it does a lot of things really interesting that set it up at, in, as a way kind of like a precursor to what became Age of Apocalypse. You know, like rewritten reality, different versions of different costumes. We saw this fantastic Horus instead of Thor and and uh, Monica Rambo as like uh, Captain Mar. I mean, all these really Captain Assyria instead of Captain America. It was really, um, really a fun, very unique, very powerful approach to the storytelling and I, I do think that that was that nice synergy between the old richard Ryder from the 70s is that some people still remembered and this new more modern take on the character it was it was very interesting it was like it was also very interesting because basically rich was like acting he was like he was in the 13th grade you know and that to me was fantastic so i i really love him and i do think that he ultimately really redeems or not redeems, but sort of fulfills his character arc. You know, I, for a while there, I was expecting him. I was, yeah, I was just sort of anticipating. I was waiting for the moment when he would kind of like challenge and vie for leadership of the team. I was like, um, like, why isn't he acting more aggressive? And I think I was just like expecting that type of thing from him. And then he was like, no, he never really got to that point. He was a, he was a heavy hitter. He was a powerhouse on that. Like, but he never seemed like he needed to take charge and be the leader of the face of the team. That just wasn't his thing. And I was like, maybe I was just, I was ascribing too many characteristics of similar characters to yeah. his type of personality that really weren't there. And he was much more, but he, yeah. but he does do that in annihilation. And that became a really nice turning point for him. Mm. Um, in, uh, I mean, it, that was in the 2005, right, era, right, yeah, but yeah. you know, it was really nice Very to see that. Yeah. yeah. It was nice to see him make that, that jump. Yeah. It never seemed like he wanted leadership of the warriors. And of course, that that would have been a pretty good power struggle for Fabian to put in if he wanted to. But it never seemed like Nova was interested. And maybe it was just because of the fact that he felt that he owed Night Thrasher for his powers that he would never make an attempt to try and take over the team. Not sure. But to me, it never seemed like he really went out of his way to ever try to be a leader that way until much later. 
Uh, we've got Namorita on the team who, throughout part of the... I, I think she probably gets the least development of the six throughout these two years, but she was also a pretty regular presence in John Byrne's Namor book going on at the same time. So that might have been a consideration when Fabian was writing her in this book. Well, there's so there's two interesting things. One, I think New Warriors issue 14 is fantastic. That's a, devoted to uh, Namorita. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at that time, if I remember correctly, there was that clone story about Namorita in Namor at the same time. So those stories, if you read them back and back, could go hand in hand, where we learn that Namorita is actually not the daughter of Namora, but a clone of her mother. And that, I mean, obviously you don't know that and you read New Warriors, you're just fine. But if you read that with that extra knowledge, sort of adds to that intensity of issue 14 and to the, why she continues to wear that armor as we go into um, that second psionic story arc. I didn't know anything about that. I, I was not reading Namor at the time. I do know that issue 14 that was one of the ones where you're seeing this beating that she's catching, and it's like, oh, oh, oh my god! <laughs> like it's like, stop throwing the towel. This is terrible. It was, if I mean, I'm you're sitting there reading about a two dimensional character, and you're seeing her just get destroyed like this, and you like, and you feel something. That was just that was brutal. It was just brutal to see. Marvel boy, Vance Astro, <laughs> by far my favorite. Yeah, character easy to um, like. Well, I so my first appearance, uh, I may have mentioned this on Twitter. My first exposure to him wasn't through Guardians of the Galaxy or anything like that. It was in the Update eighty nine Marvel Handbook when I was reading about him, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool. It's a weird superhero name to have, Vance Astro." But whatever, it's fine, you know. And I I think that as with a lot of those Marvel Handbooks at the time, they spotlighted characters that you knew were going to be. Uh, that they knew were going to be in the next decade of Marvel stories. So obviously there's entries for the Squadron Supreme. Speedball has an entry. Vance Astro has an entry. There there were entries for the Fallen Angels because they were going to do a new second volume of that series. So it's very interesting to pick up. But I, my exposure to him was then in the Update 89 book. And what I found really fascinating is he was a telekinetic, and he was the only non-telekinetic or non-X-Men telekinetic in the Marvel Universe that I was familiar with at the time. And I just thought, oh, that's kind of cool. He's He's got telekinetic powers. That's cool. But reading him in those first couple of pages of New Warriors number one, where he was super confident and had this very, like, Boy Scout com- like confidence to him and his abilities— uh, he was very cool and collected. That, in a way, was like the best virtues of me as a Boy Scout, like always prepared, you know, really calm in the face of danger, really, really level-headed, always played it cool. Even I think they even mentioned that in the second issue, like, or third or fourth issue, where Cord is saying to Night Thrasher, this guy's your ace in the hole. He's always calm. He's always cool. He's always collected. I like him. You know, and, and that to me was a really interesting character. And um, Vance suffers uh, a lot of trauma, which I also really identified with um, growing up. Um, without going into too much detail uh, about my own life, when Vance was arrested in New Warriors, 
was like the same time in my life that I was arrested and, and expelled from school. And so I had such an immediate connection to what was happening to Vance and that aspect of um, how it mirrors the, the, the Menendez brothers, you know, and, and that aspect of trauma and self-defense that, that became really powerful to me. So not only did he have this cool power set, but also like I just felt so much for him. And I don't know, when I mentioned the Menendez brothers, I don't know if that's what Fabian was channeling. But if you think back to that era of, of self-defense sure. um, yeah. and child abuse, you know, like, I'm sure that that was definitely something that was in the air or the socio-political climate at the time. Today, we, we approach, well, I should say today, uh, a lot of contemporary stories would approach the same type of situation of, you know, a hero lashing out in defense, but maybe not having as much control over their powers and somebody gets hurt too badly, modern storytellers might look at it more from the the legal angle as a sort of litigious thing, whereas I think Fabian was really getting it to the heart of, you know, the, this family, this domestic abuse angle and what's happening there and and has this crushing effect on not just Vance, but the entire team because uh, it really throws them out of sorts for like six issues. Marvel Boy was the conscience of the team. And I liked him because at first he wasn't very good. He was a low-level telekinetic, and that was about it. In his first story arc, he was very confidently striding to Avengers Mansion to make his audition to become an Avenger and failing spectacularly. And Captain America was like, nah, kid, you're not quite ready yet. Which, since we talked about the Busick run of Avengers, like what a heck of a... Like, for Busick to even look at his continuity like that and to put uh, Vance Astrovic on the Avengers like as justice, that was a masterstroke. But at this point, he, was, he had all the confidence in the world. He had the charisma. He did not have the ability as of yet. And to see him grow into that ability and... He never got more arrogant as his power set grew. He stayed level. He stayed the same solid character. It was a character that someone like an Angelica could fall in love with, and she did. And it made perfect sense because he was just that steady, safe character that she could use in her life. So, like, all of those reasons and above. And he always just had faith in all of the char- all of the characters too and the team itself so all of that and above are reasons to really like Marvel Boy I especially like I th- and I think it was issue 6 it was that first one that I had when uh, Vance and Firestar and Namorita are transferred to the moon where they in- encounter the Inhumans because um, the other three guys are down on the surface dealing with I think Gene Tech or Psionics or something um, and, and, Van, and that's when Vance unmasks for them and, and reveals to, to Firestar who he is. Um, and that sort of starts their kind of like sweet little soft, uh, soft simmering romance that will build for a while. Um, I, 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 it still tickles me because I, at, at this period, I knew a alternate version of Vance who was appearing in the Guardians of the Galaxy book in the set in the year 3000 that Jim Valentino was doing. And around the same time, he had made him uh, Major Victory 
and basically dressed him up in, like, Captain America's costume with a trench coat and a long dark hair and, like, a bandana around his forehead. Like, he looked like Rambo with a trench coat and, and Captain America's shield. And, uh, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to go back on mute. <laughs> but I really like Vance. I think I think he's he has a strong moral core to that book, and I think that uh, I don't want to sort of um, I don't want to sort of criticize the other eras of the run. But I do think that when uh, Vance, uh, the aspects of nothing but a truth, sort of have their consequences to Vance and the rest of the team, the team doesn't really recover uh, for a long time, and it's very interesting to see. It's very interesting to see that development, uh, you know, how Vance could have made a great leader, how Vance could have really sort of kept the team together. So really watching them fall apart as much as Night Thrasher was, quote unquote, the leader. At the end of the day, Vance is really the person that's holding it together, the, the, the whole book together. You know, so it's interesting to see that moral core or that heart, you know, or that moral compass just sort of get so screwed around with. Yeah, I think that's that's what Delvin was saying, is sort of looking at him as the conscience or the heart and soul of the team. And, and yeah, it definitely feels like once he's taken off the board, they're, they're lacking something crucial, and it's not just the power set. Oh, yeah, but it's interesting to see sort of uh, even reflecting back onto issue three, which is the mad thinker issue. You know, it's interesting to see the mad thinker come in and review everyone's power sets, and that through line, because the Mad Thinker, I think, visits them again in issue 51. And uh, again, we see him, I think, in issue 73 or 74. Uh, it's really interesting to see all of that, that recurrence of that theme and watching the characters become more and more powerful. That, to me, is a really interesting aspect, because as we're reading, we're learning more and more about their power sets. And that to me is that to me is really interesting, and it's not that what happens to Vance isn't without precedent. We see in issue that same issue of issue three when we learn about Vance's home life, we see all the stuff he's dealing with his dad sort of scale up. So those were the the six core members. Uh, throughout the book, we get a few other. Well, we get Silhouette that hangs around. Actually, I, I would almost first just say that she's one of the core members for a long time. Uh, and then there's Rage and Darkhawk shows up a little bit. Um, general thoughts on those characters? I think it was definitely a bold choice to put them onto the book, and it made the book likable for me. That was about the time, it had to be about the time, because I know that I was collecting Darkhawk as well. And I didn't know a lot about Rage, but it was a bold choice because you've got the conscience of the team on trial. You've got his boo that stayed with him. I mean, two big, powerful members of the team, and yet they needed more people to fill it, fill out to go to Cambodia to finish out that story arc. And so they found a couple of other, I don't want to say retread, because Darkhawk was not a retread at that time, but teenage superheroes to come in and fill those voids. They hadn't really gotten into any arc with Darkhawk yet, uh, but man, they really got into one with Rage, and it, it's making me want to now go and read 26 through 50 since I read, I completely inhaled 1 through 25 and the annuals in about a week or so. <laughs> and so I want to read the arc now just to see how Rage develops in the book because he becomes basically a sidekick to Night Thrasher and a very, and, and a pretty important role on the team, too. 
Well, one of the things that's really interesting about both Rage and uh, Dark Hawk is Dark Hawk makes his first cameo in New Warriors 14. And then we see Rage in the Avengers story where they battle the Sons of the Serpent. And that to me is really interesting. So we're, we're going from these, uh, what's interesting about the new warriors in one way too, is that they touch on all these other aspects of the Marvel universe, like speedballs kind of in Spider-Man's family and Nova's kind of in space and Namorita and, and fans are kind of in the fantastic four and Spider-Man. I mean, Firestar's kind of in that like uh, mutant group. And so each of these characters are sort of like at different uh, corner points in the Marvel universe. So bringing in characters like Rage and bringing in characters like Silhouette, I think really added, and Darkhawk to a degree, bring in this sort of, um, add more color to the tapestry. You know what I mean? So we're, we've gone from a team of mostly white characters to now, um, you know, a diverse team of um, that had, you know, at the time, more than any other book at Marvel, I think three black characters, Silhouette, and you had Rage, and you had Night Thrasher. And, and that, at the time, was was kind of powerful. Not even the X-Men was featuring a cast that had that level of diversity at the time. So it was, to me, really, really fascinating. I like Syl because I think that she's, um, and I say this lovingly, I think she's the smartest one on the team. <laughs> uh, in terms of, I mean, I mean that because she, A, she blends into shadows and she's super agile, but she uh, she doesn't, think with the level of impulsivity that the other members of the team do and she's just really interesting in that regard and rage is basically like is like a 14 year old trapped in in like an adult body you know and and in a way he dresses like he a 14 year old would you know like he dresses what a 14 year old thinks is strong which is a masked wrestler you know what i mean and then later he wears a like a road warrior kind of outfit but that's what you know like 14 year olds think are tough is pro wrestling. You know what I mean? Like that is, that is rage to a T. Um, wait, so wait, hold mean, on. Pro wrestlers aren't tough, uh, man. I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, but I, I love them. And I, I was reading dark, dark Hawk a little bit at the time, but, but I love, I love the core six and then really the core eight. And, um, and I, I think the, well, we can talk about the other members later, but I was, I'm really in love with the series um, and those that core cast. I, I think that they really round each other out well, and I think the interplay between them is really interesting. The other bit of getting into the diversity aspect of it is the fact that Silhouette is partially disabled. Uh, getting back to her origin story in, in issue two, uh, she was partially paralyzed and she walks on crutches when she's around. And to be able to see somebody else there with a, a physical disability but is managing it and living with it uh, is another form of representation that I don't know Absolutely. if we would see. I mean, other than Professor Xavier, I don't know if we would see anybody else like that in comics until Oracle, who really... Did, well, I mean, I'm trying to think when she, what time she was getting built up in Suicide Squad. It might have been around then, but I thought it was maybe. Did you say Oracle? Yeah. Well, don't forget about her in Birds of Prey as well. Right, right. But I think that would have been a few years later because that didn't launch as one shots until mid 90s, I think. Mm. 95, 96 might have been the first Birds of Prey, but she was she was first showing up in Suicide Squad. Okay. Um, 
But, yeah, I'm trying to think. Anybody else? I don't think so. I don't either. And the way that it was woven into the story, it wasn't hacky. You know, like, oh, here she is using her powers because she's handicapped. No, it, it was just a part of that. It was you found that she was a badass character and she suffered a horrific accident of getting shot. And then she recovered and continued to be a badass character. Mm-hmm. And that whole idea of it is just making making her handicap just a part of her arc just as a way of telling the story as opposed to I'm simply putting that in there just to show that I can write about a character like this to me means a lot. I found a lot of nuance to her character and I really appreciated that, especially as we got to learn more about her and her origins. I thought that was really interesting stuff, especially when we learn more about her lineage. Getting back to uh, Fabian Nicias' kind of like storytelling approach and the way, if you look back at the, the two years and kind of how they're, they're all blocked out, um, I really liked how very early on he does a lot of short, either done-in-ones or very short little story arcs to kind of flesh out who these characters are. Again, he's dealing with an ensemble. Most of these characters have been established, but they didn't have their own books. I mean, in a lot of ways, these were characters that couldn't hold, like that, that weren't holding their own titles, so they were kind of thrown together. So he's able to give each one of them a spotlight, a showcase for one month to flesh them out. Who are they? What's important to them? Where do they need to be? And laying seeds for the others, and then he's able to flip it around. So early on, because it's also a great superhero comic, and you've got Mark Bagley on art, so we see them fighting characters like Terax in the beginning. They fight Juggernaut for their first, uh, their debut in the Acts of Vengeance. We get the Midnight's Fire thing. We're, there's the Punisher story, the the White Queen story. We see them battling the Psionics team and at Gene Tech. Um, there is the, um, the the story with Saving Speedball's mother when they have to fight the force of nature. Forever yesterday, like once we get to like our issues like eleven, that's like our first kind of major like longer story arc, and then throughout the second half there is the whole Night Thrasher versus Cord, and then Ty and and his whole quitting the team and that story arc interspersed that with Vance's murder trial and eventual conviction, the the all the major kind of climactic battle with the folding circle and tie in Cambodia. A lot of kind of like cool story eggs that start off small and get progressively bigger and more monumental, more influential for the characters. And we see what they're able to, you know, go up against and kind of just, I was just wondering for you guys, what were some of your favorite story arcs or important character beats or dramatic beats? Um, I already mentioned that the Forever Yesterday story, I think, is my personal favorite storyline uh, or a little plot beat in the in the first two years. I just really liked that one. Um, also, on a much, much smaller level, uh, I loved it when uh, Bagley drew the Silver Surfer and the Fantastic Four helping them out when Terex came back. I like how the creative team definitely came together because Mark Bagley's work was great from the start, but him and Malstead together, there was just something about it that eventually just the book, even now picking it up, just popped. One of the covers that I saw, and you mentioned the Fantastic Four storyline where 
You got Nova on the cover with that big gun, and you got Thing on the cover with that big gun. Oh, <laughs> so, to me, that cover just popped so much because a lot about it is very 90s, but Mark Bagley made it look so good to me. And then I just that cover, I just, it really, and then the next one was Night Thrasher holding cord over like over a, a rooftop, like about to drop him, and you're like, what is going on here? He does that it, a lot. Maybe he was expecting like cord had Nova powers too. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, it, it was so that the development of the team and how they became like a band that's starting to get it where you could have a talented ensemble but if they don't gel then they're never going to produce that music together and when you had Malstead and you had Bagley and Nicieza and they were able to start just telling those stories fearlessly that's when it all started coming together for me I really do wonder like what was the expectation of this book and what I mean by that is the way that looking back the Nicieza laid out this story is it seemed like he had time to tell it. And I don't know if there were any any um I don't oh, what word I want here. If there was any hint that they were gonna be able to have this book for a couple of years and tell the story, or whether it was the nineties and because books frequently sold in the hundreds of thousands that it was more than enough to never worry about taking a book off of the shelf, such as the New Warriors, but it just seemed like that book had time to develop. And at one point, somewhere in the teens or maybe the 20s, someone asked about you know the plotting and whatever, and they said, yeah, Fabian Nizieza has the book plotted out to issue 50 at least. Like, wow. Hmm. So did they know that he was going to... Did they know that the book was going to get to issue 50 in the 20s already? That's... That's pretty cool. That's that will allow for some very bold story uh, writing if you know that you're not going to be yanked off in a month or two and having to wrap everything up. I really would love to know that because to me, the biggest arc was just that fearless storytelling that after about the first year or so, they just took off. And about issue 17 or so, when they started ramping up to the nothing but the truth storyline, they were in full throttle and it was great to read. Yeah, for me, I mean, obviously, I I love the first 26 issues. Uh, I think my favorite issues, though, uh, in particular, are that first battle with the psionics, which I think was really interesting because I had seen Mad Thinker and Juggernaut and Terax before, you know, but I hadn't seen a, a rival team. Um, so that was that was really fascinating to me, and uh, Speedball sort of saves the day, and that to me was really awesome. Uh, I also really, really, really enjoyed issue ten, where Firestar sort of confronts Emma Frost. I think Forever Yesterday was fantastic. I really, I, I agree. I think that second Psionics arc with Terex, uh, again, really fantastic. I, I don't think that there's a single issue in there that I'm like, eh. Uh, one of the issues that we didn't talk about was, you know, the first annual, New Warriors annual that has uh, X-Force or what was transitioning from the New Mutants into X-Force mm-hmm. uh, and that crossover, which I thought was really great. It was nice to see uh, X-Force team up with the New Warriors because Firestar recognizes James, uh, Proudstar, and right. recognizes Cannonball. 
And that to me was there was there was something fun about that. And watching Cord and Cable who kind of knew each other, that to me was really fascinating. So um yeah, I, I would say that those issues that really the single issues that really spotlight one character, issue uh ten, issue fourteen, uh issue four, um I think all of those are really great. But where the team really gelled for me was between issue four, which is at that the epilogue where we get the first hint of the Sphinx, and the, those two issues with Star Thief in five and six, which I thought were really fantastic. And it sh- sort of showed what the uh, New Warriors were really capable of. Yeah, especially like uh, after the Star Thief thing, I uh, there's the Inhumans part of it taking place on the moon, but I really like when Thrasher and Nova and Speedball are stuck on the surface when this factory, this plane is exploding, and they're like, "All right, well, the bad guy's gone, we should get out of here." And I'm like, "No, this this factory's on fire. People are in danger. We have to take care of this." And I think like a bunch of Shield dreadnoughts show up, and they're like, "You guys are the superheroes. Are you going to do something about this?" And they kind of like take charge and and lead the the rescue and, and uh, decontamination effort, so I thought that was cool. In issue 18, which is the one when Thrasher is holding cord over the side of the, the, the building, um, that's the one where he kind of starts to, to find the mystery of his, his parents' death and, and what's behind basically everything that he thought he knew about his life. There's a subplot where uh, Richard takes Vance into a strip club in the city, and Vance is like, what are we doing here? And they find out that one of the Psionics members, Pretty Persuasion, is a dancer there, and they approach her afterwards. And there's a point where it's like, it gets borderline, okay, guys, you're going into this girl's room, and where are you going with this Richard? But he basically just warns her. It's like, hey, we know who you are in real life. Don't step out of line. Don't get revert to your criminal ways, and we won't have to do anything. And then they, and she like kicks them out of there and like throws them out. And I kind of thought I, I liked that approach of, you know, the hero knows who the villains are and is going to like check up on them, almost like a parole officer from time to time. Um, the fact that she's hardly dressed and it's in a it's in her dressing room in a strip club made it borderline skeevy, but I think it was just chased enough probably because Vance is so awkward in the room with them but in, yeah. in fairness she was an exotic dancer right yeah you yeah, know she was yeah so I would give Niciesa a little bit of credit because that's a, a yet another part of you know comics that's kind of seen like okay are we going to approach this are we not it's like nope she was a former exotic dancer and she kind of had powers and that made her exotic so I, when I first read that, I'm like, man, I wonder how far that they could have gone with that. Like, are we ever going to see P- Pretty Persuasions fight Spidey? Eh! <laughs> Probably not. But it was, I thought it was a bold attempt. I thought that like the forces of nature and Cyanex 2, they were pretty uh, bold choices to make and to establish that universe within New Warriors. Because you know how it is when a new comic book comes out. It's like they kind of keep them sort of within their own universe before really branching them out to the rest of the Marvel Universe and integrating them in. And so Fabian did that the first year and continued to build on that through issue 25 and beyond. But it was cool to see him trying new things, such as Pretty Persuasions. All right, David, you teased this a while ago, but uh, how did the New Warriors lead to your career in comics? 
So uh, what was really interesting is obviously I was a real big fan of the series. Um, and I continued after uh, Fabian and, and Bagley left and, and Derek Robertson uh, went on. Um, so I was reading the book when Evan Skolnick and Patrick Zercher were doing the book towards the last, you know, uh, 25 some odd issues of the series. I think uh, Evan had took, taken over a little bit earlier, but, you know, I, they really gelled. Um, and I, the book was canceled or announced to be canceled, I think, in 1996 with issue 75. And I think issue 73 had just come out. And I drove from Maryland with my New Warriors uh, Yahoo group that I was a member of, like a little Yahoo group. And I drove all the way from Maryland to New Jersey to meet Evan Skolnick. And we all went to the mall to see him and Mike McCone and Tom Smith sign, not just New Warriors, but like uh, one of the Venom miniseries that had come out, like Along Came the Spider or whatever. And uh, then we all went out to dinner and I learned about the Marvel internship program, uh, having dinner with Evan Skolnick. And I learned secrets about the New Warriors. I got a special New Warriors t-shirt um, that has all they want to do is change the world, the Derek Robertson art and a triangle on the back that printed a little pinker than it should have. So um, they didn't really make those shirts available to the public because in the 90s, it just a giant pink triangle on the back of the shirt just didn't look right. That red just didn't translate the way I think that they wanted it to. But I got a little shirt, New Warrior shirt, and I got like signed a signed copy of the script and I got to read a Dan Slott, Fabian Nicieza, a uh, lost issue. And I got to learn secrets about, uh, during that dinner, I got to learn secrets about what would have happened to the new warriors had they gone on beyond issue 75. But yeah, so then I ended up getting an internship at Marvel Comics where, uh, I was there for the new new warriors relaunch in 1999 and the Nova series that had come out through Eric Larson with Eric Larson and Joe Bennett. Um, and then I eventually, like, I was a huge New Warriors fan, and, and that's what led to my career in comics. And I was so influenced by um, Evan Skolnick and his work that, you know, in the last couple of issues of the New Warriors, they fight the dire race. Mm -hmm. And so as a tribute to Evan, I put the dire race in my Dark Star in the Winter Guard series for Marvel. Nice. That is the secret. I, I am... Uh, yes, I, I'm. I'm going back to that shirt now, and I'm trying to think of like a T-shirt with a pink triangle, and the phrase "All they want to do is change the world" would be <laughs> that would mobilize like so many like voters right now. Like that would. Just... <laughs> yes, uh, thirty, yes. thirty, thirty to twenty-five years too early, man. <laughs> I, I want to add something since you mentioned near the end of the series that I I wish. Scarlet Spider was part of the New Warriors towards the end. The Ben Riley Scarlet Spider. And I wish, wish, wish like all hell that they would have kept him on the team. Because when he came on, I thought it was so cool. And I think Zercher was drawn at the time and he could really, really draw the heck out of some Scarlet Spider. It was wonderful. And I wish that they would have kept him on the team. But of course, the Amazing Spider-Man is going to always be where Marvel's going to stir and they or sail towards, and they had their plans for Ben Riley. <laughs> but I wish he could have saved the Warriors. That would have been really cool. I, I mean, again, it was just too early because you know a decade later they would love they would put all sorts of Spider-Man characters on teams. You know. So yeah. I have a question for you guys. So uh, here's my question that I'd like to ask you: If there were one member 
of so let's think about it from that era. If there were one teen-ish like character that you could put on the New Warriors who wasn't on the New Warriors, who would it be? Does it does it have to be from that time? Yeah, ideally from that time, because that way it'd be like, here's this one character that I wish would have really joined. There's one character that I wish had joined that never did. And I, I'm kind of like, oh, why not? He was perfect. He didn't even have the same color scheme as the rest of the team. Because the team, I don't know if you know, kind of all generally went for blues. Yeah. You guys notice that? Yeah, especially blues and blacks. Once, once, once Nova changes, yeah, him and Speedball and, and Vance too, yeah. So who is, who is that character? Oh, and Silhouette, who's uh, yellow yeah, and black. Yellow, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, but but I mean, as it's as it's you know usually printed uh, like her her blues her black costume is accented with blues, so it does it looks the same. I see because of what I was reading. I mean, I'm thinking now around this time would have been. I'm looking at the the X Men characters and Generation X started in '94, so I'm thinking like Chamber from Generation X or even God Jubilee. What did you would Jubilee have worked with the New Warriors? Believe it or not, I was thinking Jubilee as well because she was very popular. Oh sure she was, she was, was popular yeah, she was, yeah, especially with the animated series once that launched, yeah, she was. Every mm-hmm. every generation of X-Men has the young female like gateway character for the for the audience. Yeah. Well it's funny because Jubilee and Chamber both joined the New Warriors later. Is that when Jubilee was a vampire? No, it was when she was Wondra. It was uh, right after Civil War. Oh God! Okay, I didn't even know that. But... Pre pre vampire. Oh, yeah, they, they've done a they've done a couple of iterations of the New Warriors, and sometimes I'm just like, okay, you got the original six, and I know that Nova is more of a cosmic character now, but my goodness, how powerful would that team be now? Like. Take the new off of it, call them the freaking Warriors, and put the original six or eight back on the same team. You, you tell you, you uh, people would buy that book, and and I'm me, I'm people. <laughs> I would buy that a- answering book. answering my own question. I think I would have put had Night Thrasher left the team, I would have put Bangle on the team. Hmm. Who's who? He fights in the hard choices because right, he's got right, that yeah, orange. Yeah. And- yeah. He's got that orange and black. He would be. Uh, he would add to the diversity of the team. Uh, really interesting backstory. So, did they ever uh, give him a name? Uh, yeah, he he's got a name. Uh, it, it's revealed in. Uh, he later shows up in Avengers Initiative. Um, I thought the character. Yeah, he later shows up in Avengers Initiative with a whole backstory. So yeah. I don't want to give too much away, but. Yeah. So, but I, I really, uh, you know, I really love the story, and I think that um, I don't want to go beyond these twenty-five issues for people who are reading them. But I think that there was just so much uh, nuance and so much interesting uh, character dynamics that, again, I go back through those issues. I mean, I, I've long since gotten rid of my most of my comic collection. The only thing I think I still have are some back issues of Rom and some back issues of like old appearances from the Soviet super soldiers. And then I have these issues of new warriors. So that's how uh, important they are to me. I oh, was, and I have a rage and night thrasher action figure. I, I have the night thrasher action figure. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to the Firestar one when that comes out next year. Um, Delvin has a night thrasher t-shirt, which I love. <laughs> I'm wearing it right now. You can't see it, but I'm wearing it. I did it for you. <laughs> nice. I was going to ask 
I, I know there was they announced a new Warriors a new new Warriors series, which I think was met with a lot of um, not a lot of warm feelings on on online based on a lot of consternation. Yeah, yeah, um, based on some of the character concepts and names and things like that. And I don't even want to get into that. Um, but I did want to kind of address this this thinking that I've had because it seems like this, I mean, this series went 75 issues and they have tried to come back to it from time to time and it feels like it's never quite stuck. And I wonder if this, if a book like this kind of has the same sort of inherent problem as like, Robin or something like the New Mutants, whenever you get like a, a, a team of younger heroes, is that they work for the generation of readers that comes with them. And then a decade later, you have to introduce a new set of younger heroes. And like, like the, again, with the X-Men, there was the X-Men and then there was the New Mutants and they graduated to X-Force because you had Generation X. And then there was the young X-Men, and then you just keep on going younger and younger and that, and now, like, as a, you've got the the champions, you've got young Avengers, like, where is there a place for the new warriors? Like, what, what type of stories, what, what, if you're, if you forget about what Marvel has announced, like, if you wanted to have a new warriors comic today, what is their niche? Like, where where do they fit in the Marvel Universe? What type of audience are you going for? What type of characters do you populate the book with? Where where do they belong? Is there a place for them? I already answered it. I already answered Like, take the new off of it, call it the Warriors, and put the original six on the team. And they're just a little they, bit older? They're just graduating? Yes, too? and they're just a little bit older. They keep trying to put these newer characters in there, and a lot of times they're not even existing characters within the Marvel Universe. It's these retread characters that they're pulling out of their rear ends from nowhere that no one has any interest in. And, okay, that's that's cynical. I will, I will say that, especially at this point, of selling comic books, and I know David can talk about this much more than I can, but I can talk about it as a consumer. It seems like comic books want the safer plays. If you want a safer play, then take an already established team, put them in a 2020s setting, and let them handle 2020 problems with a little bit of an older perspective. Take the new off of it, call them the Warriors, and let them fight. The power set that this team has now is immense and it they kind of have the same dynamic that they have or that they had in the 90s of which right now in 2020 where's justice where's firestar i mean i know i could tell you <laughs> please oh you're gonna have to read daniel kibblesmith's uh, new volume of the series um because i i mean i, I know <laughs> um, um but uh so for me, I, I sort of disagree calling them the Warriors because it brings too many of the like Warriors come out and play kind of Coney Island, New York stuff. Tom Brevoort would squash that in a heartbeat. But but I, I think that there is a real I do agree that there is sort of this uh, real opportunity to look at it's the same challenge with any book, whether it's Thunderbolts or Alpha Flights. Um, any of these books that have this team that you've sort of any new team or even Teen Titans for that matter, 
any of these teams are teams that you come in and you're, you're right. There's that book for the generations. But how many times have you seen a book like, I mean, where is Young X-Men? You know, where is, I mean, it's very difficult to get a book like Young Avengers going again. You know, and, and all of these names sort of get recycled for trademark purposes because you don't want to lose the branding. But um, one of the things that all of these all of these relaunches miss is this opportunity to look at the, the, the Marvel has this thing where it's, it's character concept and creator. And those are the things that make them approve uh, a new series. And so when you think about what is the concept, well, the concept is the new warriors. Well, that's not enough. So it, I agree. It needs to pull into these, like pull into these same themes of, um, they need to be subversive, I think, with the way the New Warriors are when they stole a Quinjet. <laughs> it needs to be defiance, you know, and it needs to be kind of punk rock. And more importantly, though, I think it needs to do exactly what all of these characters did when we brought the New Warriors together, which is be these different cornerstones of the Marvel Universe. So get somebody who is an inhuman and get somebody who is a mutant and get somebody who is connected to the Fantastic Four and somebody who's connected to the Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever it is, wherever they are, whatever team it is. But, you know, when you think about uh, the relaunches of Thunderbolts or you think about the relaunches of Alpha Flight, uh, inevitably, they always go back to this core team with one or two new members. And, and that's not really what's a success. That's just a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox. So I do think that there's this tremendous opportunity to do a, a great new Warriors book that acknowledges what came before us as part of a legacy. And the way that Jeff Johns did sort of an, on his run of Teen Titans with Mike McCone, but also comes up with like really ostentatious creators who aren't afraid to to put these ideas forward. I mean... This idea that, I mean, New Warriors was kind of woke before woke was cool, but there's a real opportunity to do that same stuff and address those same things, the same themes. And I think that a lot of these relaunches have missed the aspect of the New Warriors that made them uh, socially relevant. And I think that that is, I think that that's really, really uh, powerful stuff. And I think that, that there's a real opportunity there. And I know that Throughout the course of New Warriors, various relaunches, there have been opportunities to do uh, New Warriors in space, where it's just like the New Warriors in outer space, and they're just doing spacey stuff, uh, flicking off Galactus or whatever, you know, punching Sentinels in the face or whatever it is, and uh, upsetting the cosmic balance. There's one one track, or uh, dealing with themes of school shootings. I mean, there have been opportunities where, like, Robbie Baldwin's in high school and his... His dad, his friend brings in his dad's aim pistol and, and takes the school hostage in a very, like, tell me why I don't like Mondays kind of boomtown rats kind of feeling. And all those things are socially relevant. But but really, hammer it home. Give us that expectation like Fabian did, but also twist it a bit and, and really play up again with with what I said. Make them laugh, make them cry, make them wait. Really play in with all of those things. And I think that there's an opportunity to do that and to tell those stories and to, to pay legacy to what has come before, but to do it with a nice mix of new and old characters or characters at least um, founded in some aspect cornerstone of the Marvel Universe. 
I think getting to the, the 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 wokeness, for lack of a better word, and the social relevance of the team, I was I was kind of thinking about, like if you brought that in the modern, like what would it? I, and I think what what Fabian did that was helped sustain the book, and that actually like made it deeper and a little bit more profound. The things that you talked about, the environmental angle, the domestic abuse angle, uh, all all of these things, they were part of the characters' lives. Not necessarily their adventures. I mean, when the new warriors fight Terax or Gideon or, you know, like there's there's nothing woke about that. That has no necessarily political or social commentary. It's it's all when they take their costumes off and the world that they inhabit when they're dealing with those those social themes. And I think maybe that is the line that you can that you can thread where you know when they're when they're putting on their costumes they're they're superheroes and they're just beating up bad guys and doing stuff like that but they can't escape the world in their home life uh, and that's kind of where you bring about the social angles well and i agree i think that you know one of the things that's interesting about namorita is that she's she's an environmentalist just by who she is mm-hmm. you know what i mean like she she is part and parcel her body is tied to one of the major elements. <laughs> you know, her, her body is affected by climate change. That that is interesting. That is not just being woke for woke sake. That is like the very nature of that character. I was just gonna mention the aspect of the books that we covered that now, like back then, Namor was the suit and tie guy. He is not the suit and tie guy now, so it would be interesting to see his Namorita, would she be like the more conservative side of it? Because Namor right now is on some burn the earth crap and not like the suit and tie person that he was that we saw in the first 25. Hmm. But no, I, I, I think that the series in and of itself is just fantastically, just really dynamic. And one of the things we, we've talked a lot about Fabian's writing, but one of the things that's really interesting is talking a little bit too. Uh, about Bagley's art style and how what Bagley does from a just a, a layout and perspective standpoint. You know, it, it's interesting because this is in the early part of his career where he doesn't have quite the refinement and posture that you might expect from a John Buscema or a Bob Layton. But he's he's such a talented draft. I mean, um, storyteller. I mean, his draftsman skills in the early part of his career are quite there, but he's such a talented storyteller that his layouts are constantly challenging expectations. And I think that that's really interesting from the angles to the perspectives to the body posturing to there's something really sweet about the way that Angel was putting her head on Vance's back while he was driving his motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good moment. Nice little detail. All right. Well, um, final. Uh, we we talked about a lot, but like kind of final thoughts on the first two years of New Warriors. The uh, overall big pictures, um, the the things that stuck with you, the reason you still love it, Delvin. It was just solidly put together. You can. It, it felt like Fabian and company. They were on to something very good. It felt like they knew it early on. About once they hit that uh, the forever yesterday, once they hit the forever yesterday storyline, they really were just absolutely on it at that point. And I think what makes the Warriors relevant is that they were unafraid 
to address those societal issues, but they were unafraid to have fun at the same time. And they definitely were unafraid to bring the action and also unafraid to put their heroes through the paces. And all of that, just that bold storytelling is what made me want to go back and, and even read this. I don't, I don't think I have ever read 27 issues of a comic book for a podcast before. And when given the opportunity to do it, I jumped at it because it gave me an opportunity to make myself stop and go back and appreciate these books again. So thanks for that, Ryan. I really do appreciate it, man. No, absolutely. Happy to have you on this one. Uh, David, final thoughts? Well, for me, I, I think that there's uh, there's no other series that brings absolute joy to my face. Like, I really appreciate the, the level of nuance and the level of care and the level of storytelling um, that is in the series. Uh, and I love the authenticity of rebellion and playing by the rules. And, and that, to me, I think that duality, I think, is really what sums up the new warriors so well and if you haven't read the series yet i know we we have plenty of spoilers in here i mean i know we've talked about the highlights but i think that if you have the opportunity to go read the series i really i i recommend giving it a read because i think that together bagley uh fabian and and company really uh deliver the goods time and time again with the series yeah, I completely agree. Um, Delvin mentioned I, you could probably find most of these original issues for not that much money in stores. Uh, otherwise, right now, they are all available on Marvel Digital Unlimited. Um, I don't know if they've been collected in trades, any like any of their newer uh, trade collection volumes or anything recently. There is a. Uh, they just released the New Warriors Omnibus, which collects oh. all 26 issues and the annuals. Oh, well, there you go. Nice. Oh, wow. Nice. Well, if anybody is looking for a Christmas present, you know, <laughs> some of the holidays are coming up. I live in Brooklyn. If anybody wants to send me a copy. <laughs> Speaking of that, David, where else can people find you if they want to hear more from you or if they want to know what else you're working on? So, uh, in addition to uh, finding me on Twitter, I'm David Gallagher on Twitter. You can follow me on my website, which is uh, davidgallagher.com. And uh, I'm most active on those platforms, but you can also find me on Instagram at David Gallagher Writer or on Facebook at David Gallagher Writer, where I talk about, amongst other things, uh, writing for video games and uh, uh, comic books and role-playing games. Any new uh, particular project you want to plug? I'm working on Own Living Girl Volume 3 and 4, which you can find on the Paper Cups website. Very, very cool. Or at your favorite comic book shop or bookstore. Delvin, where else can our listeners find you? I am all over the Longbox Crusade Network. Uh, Come check me out there on any number of shows. And you can find me personally on Twitter at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y one nine seven seven. All right. One more time, I want to thank both of you for being my guests on this episode to help me talk about the new Warriors. This was a whole lot of fun. Listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you liked our discussion, please support the show on social media by liking or favoriting the posts on Facebook and Twitter. 
And you can leave a comment on the episode post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can always go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, leave a nice five-star review for FW Presents or any other show on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. If you like the show or other shows on the network, please consider donating to our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts for additional information. Until next time, thank you for listening. Living in a fast lane, living in a fast lane, yeah. Living in a fast lane, living in a fast lane. Battle to the metal, going fast, fast. Ferrari level, got the glass, glass. Yes, go clocking, cash and sack. While the mask hold hand up to catch. Relax, no complaint, satisfaction, no red tape.